Yeah, I, uh, there are things that happened with uh, Pastor Ruth, who was student at the time that I'll never forget. One time I came in the classroom and there were balloons and a birthday cake and uh, there was a party and uh, because it was my birthday that day and she, she initiated this uh, fun time that we had together at the end of class. So thank you so much for having me. Uh, I'm not usually a big drama person, but uh, this morning I decided to do something special since I was coming to Connections Church. Uh, I got out of my car and locked in my car my notes, my Bible, my iPhone, everything. And so I was left with nothing, not even my purse. It was still in the car. And so we phoned the fire department. So the fire truck showed up. I was expecting to see uh, just a fire department car, and, but uh, the fire truck showed up and they did their miracle and they unlocked the door and I was able to get uh, everything. I could have still preached without my notes, but, uh, <laughs> but uh, the Lord is good, the Lord is faithful. So let's pray before we get into the word. So Father, we're here because of you, not because of uh, us and our own uh, our own glory, or uh, we're, we're your people. Lord, we need you. We need your word. We need to be taught by you. So, Lord, have your own way in our midst this morning. Speak to us. Whatever you want us to hear is what we want to hear today. So, have your own way here. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. So I know that you're doing a series right now on letting go. And so the Lord led me to the passage in Exodus chapter 16. There we are. And um, which, which talked about uh, traveling. And I've always loved to travel. That's always been part of my life. The more I can travel, uh, the merrier. Uh, when I was young, uh, in my teenage years and early 20s, my parents said, Go see the world, go travel the world, go learn, go experience what's out there. And my dad said, we'll take you to the airport, we'll pick you up from the airport, just don't uh, phone collect too often. And uh, for those who are old enough to know that uh, phoning collect was an expensive deal. So we did that when I was 21, found myself uh, backpacking throughout Europe for a month with a friend of mine went from country to country, just loved it, learned a lot, was exposed to different cultures. And that summer, my brother, I was 21, and my brother, who was 20, spent the, the summer in the UK working there. And then when I phoned home, collect, uh, my sister came on the phone and said, um, I'm leaving for Paris tomorrow, so let's meet in Paris, which was going to be our last stop before coming back. So. So three of us out of the six siblings found ourselves in our early 20s in Europe. And at that time, I think it was a bit safer to travel that way and to backpack throughout Europe than what it would be today. There are ways to do it today still, but uh, uh, you know, traveling's always been part of my life. So I've had the opportunity to teach overseas, to live overseas, lived in Israel, lived in the Philippines, lived in in different places, visited different countries. And you learn, uh, you learn that the world is bigger than your little, your little world, and that uh, um, everybody, the billions of people on the face of the earth all have a different experience, and we need to, we're walking through this journey together. 
So when I follow Israel, I look at the Israelites who come out of Egypt, and this is what's happening in Exodus chapter 16. Uh, they have just come out from the bondage of Egypt. We find the story of the Exodus, uh, well, begins with the plagues in chapter 7, Exodus chapter 7, 8, 9, 10, uh, going through the 10 plagues. And um, then came time for them to leave. Now, if you think of um, the people who had lived under bondage, and finally they were going to be free. So no doubt they were excited. Uh, the children, the women, the young people, the elderly, uh, although it was going to be a difficult journey, uh, they didn't know what was uh, ahead of them, but it was time to leave. You know, pack your bags and it's time to go. And so uh, you can change the slide. There we go. So we have uh, Exodus chapter 13, 14, which is actually the story of the Exodus itself, um, which is fascinating to see what they, they experienced at that time. Every year I have the opportunity to lead Passover seders uh, in churches and communities and in my home. Uh, even though I'm not Jewish, I'm very involved with the Jewish uh, world. Um, my Messiah is Jewish, your Messiah is Jewish, so we have a lot to learn from a uh, Jewish background to our faith. And so um, the, the Exodus, they came out of Egypt, and one of the first things that they did after they came out of Egypt is celebrate. God had done something that no human could do. Uh, to deliver them, to bring them out, to uh, parted the seas, open the waters. They walked on dry ground, uh, which is, you know, not just the miracle of parting the seas, but if you think about that, walking on dry ground. They weren't walking on the mud, you know, because today if we think, okay, the waters are low, the low level, are, but parting is one thing and drying uh, the, the, the ground for these millions of people, actually. If you think about uh, how many people came out of Egypt, there were 70 when they went into Egypt with Jacob. And now we find that 400 or 430 years later, there are uh, two to three million people at least how do we know that? We know that because in the book of Numbers, the book is called Numbers because it begins with a census. It begins with calculation of how many were in this tribe, how many were in that tribe, how many were in the 12 tribes. And uh, the beginning of uh, uh, the book of Numbers gives us the number of the 11 tribes. And then it has a special section for uh, doing a census of the Levites, those who are going to take care of the tabernacle, the Ark of the Covenant, the presence of God in the midst of the people. So we know that they were at least, there were over 600,000 in the 11 tribes and over 8,000 in the, the Levites, uh, of Levites. And that's just be, between the ages of 20 to 50. So if you think of all the men between the ages of 20 to 50, the Levites are counted from 30 to 50 and you're ending up with more than 600,000, then if you put a wife for each man, and you put one child and one elderly parent, uh, you multiply that by four, which we know they would have had a lot more than, than one child and possibly more than one wife, etc. So there were several millions who came out of Egypt 
and uh, ended up uh, leaving the bondage and going on this trip, this amazing trip. So what was ahead of them, they knew was freedom. How do you know it's freedom? Because behind you is bondage. Behind you is dark. And if God opens a door to move forward, and I can tell you God will always open a door to move us forward, always. God never leaves us where we are if we're going through difficult times. Individually, I look at my life now that I'm old enough to see the ups and downs, that nobody lives a life that cruises at the top all the time. We all experience the ups and downs of life. When we're young, when we're older, when, you know, children even have their own struggles. And so, but God always leads us somewhere. And I remember at one point in my life when I, I went through very difficult time, I, I still remember I was seated on the couch. That's probably 40 years ago. Seated on the couch. I lived in Vancouver at the time. And the Lord said to me, I have led you this far. Will I not lead you the rest of the way? And how many times in my life I have heard these words come back to me. I have led you this far. Not going to leave you in this mess. And it was a messy situation. was a difficult situation. But the Lord said, I will lead you out of that. And I will be with you uh, until the end of my life. Until my last breath. And in the book of Psalms we find that, that God is with us until our last breath. And after our last breath, the best is yet to come. So... We live here, we go through this journey, uh, not because the journey is always exciting and fun. There are some exciting and fun parts in the journey of life, of course. And especially when we walk with the Lord, uh, we can always turn to the Lord. But before us, we have to look at what's ahead of us as the life of freedom. The life of freedom. Let's leave, uh, like Israel did, Egypt behind and let's move forward. Now, what's interesting is uh, you can, um, okay, let's go back to Exodus chapter 15. And this is the party, actually. They celebrated right after the Lord did a major work and opened the seas. The song is very long. I'm just going to read a little bit of it to give you the, the tone of what was going on in Israel, in the wilderness, but with the Israelites. Then Moses and the children of Israel sang the song of the Lord. I will sing. Some of you may know this. I will sing unto the Lord, for he has triumphed gloriously. The Lord then ride right into the sea. Uh, and the Lord is my strength, my song. He has become my salvation. This is my God. I will glorify him, my father's God. I will exalt him. So they sang. And then Miriam, the prophetess, Aaron's sister, took a tambourine in her hand. And all the women went out after her with tambourines, with dancing uh, as uh, uh, Miriam sang. So there are times in our lives when we can say, yes, I've been freed. The Lord has done something major. I can rejoice. And we should rejoice when the Lord does something major in our lives. And so we should share it. And we should let the world know that God has worked with us. Sometimes I've asked the question. I've even asked myself the question. Can you identify one major thing the Lord has done in your life lately? Or at some point in the past? How quickly we forget. We're always looking for God to do something, but we often forget what he did. He has, he's keeping us alive. He is giving us life. He has given us our breath. He's given us health. 
He's given us opportunities. He's led us, even though we may not be aware that he's the one who was leading us in different directions. The Lord promised that he would never leave us nor forsake us, which means that at every moment of every day, he is with us and he's actually opening the doors and he's the one who's orchestrating things. And most of the time, we, we have no idea that he's the one doing it. But he is. He promises that he will, and he does. So next slide, Exodus chapter 16, 1. So they're beginning their journey. The whole Israelite community set out from Elim, came to the desert of Sin, which is between Elim and Sinai, on the 15th day of the second month after they had come out of Egypt. So it's been six weeks that they've been out of Egypt. They've celebrated. They're excited. It's a new thing. It's a new trip. And they come to uh, this place, Elim, which was not a very large place. It says in the previous chapter that Elim was just an oasis with 70 palm trees and uh, some water, water supply. And it's, it's a wonderful story because what comes just before that was the, the bitter waters at Mara. So they sang the song of the sea, the song of Moses, they sang, they celebrated, and the first thing that happens after is, whoop, they encounter an obstacle. Uh, the, the waters are undrinkable. Uh, so, the, but the Lord provides. The Lord provided for them. The Lord said to Moses, you see that tree? Take the tree, throw it in the water, which he did, and the waters became sweet, and the people were able to drink. And from there, it's now time to move on. So we're a month and a half past uh, the leaving Egypt. Now, uh, we bring people to Israel every two years at Denver Seminary. We have a trip, an academic trip. It's a course. It's intensive. We do a lot of hiking. And some of my favorite places in Israel are the wilderness. And uh, I'm going to show you a couple of pictures of the wilderness of Zin, which is probably different from the wilderness of Sin, but it's part of the Sinai Desert. Looks about the same. So imagine they're excited. They've come out of Egypt. It's time to go. And all they know is that before them is a land filled with milk and honey. But the, go the one before. The previous slide and look at what they encounter now they've been six six weeks at this point journeying and that's all they can see now one thing is we can only see what's ahead of us but God can see much further than that God knows where he's leading us and we need to trust that God knows that we are limited in our vision of where God is leading us, but we need to trust that God is leading us in the right direction because he'll never lead us in the wrong direction. Next slide. And so, some of the areas, you can see people hiking at the bottom of the canyon there. So some places you have walls uh, on both sides. You have sometimes uh, um, a small river flowing through the canyon. Uh, but at night, it gets very cold, and during the day, it gets very hot. So it's, it's when you, what they saw was not the most pleasant thing. So I could understand that they, I have more compassion on the Israelites now, having hiked the wilderness of Zin several times. Next slide. 
what we do is there, uh, there is a way to climb up. They've now carved for tourists or people who can go in that area. Uh, in, within the stone walls, they've carved some steps so you can go up. At some point as you're going up, you actually have to go up a wood ladder to the next level and then go hike a bit. And then there's another ladder to get to the top. So the obstacles are interesting obstacles. But one thing is, I know when I hike this, that at the top, there is an air-conditioned bus, <laughs> for which I'm very thankful. And there's food, and there's water, and there's everything that I'm going to need for the rest of the journey, for the rest of the trip, or the rest of the day, even if I look uh, immediate uh, need. So uh, it, these uh, are wonderful eye-openers for people who go in those areas. Yes, it's wonderful to be in Jerusalem, to be in the Galilee, to be on the Sea of Galilee. All the major and minor uh, biblical sites are all worth seeing. But being in this desert makes you uh, identify with the Israelites as they went through the challenges of the journey of their own life. Next slide. So what did they do? Well, the response of the Israelites says, in the desert, the whole community grumbled against Moses and Aaron. Now the timing, let's go back to the timing. We're six weeks into this journey. One month later, after two and a half months, is when they actually received the, the Ten Commandments at Sinai. So it didn't take, took only two and a half months before the time, between the time they left Egypt and the time they received the Ten Commandments. And here, so they're in this interim period. And this interim period is not easy. This is the second complaint. In the desert, the whole community grumbled against Moses and Aaron. The Israelites said to them, if only I had died in the Lord's hand in Egypt. There we sat around pots of meat and ate all the food we wanted. But you have brought us out of this desert to starve this entire assembly to death. Well, let's parse this a little bit. First of all, it says the whole community grumbled. When you have in scripture passages that talk about everyone, it's usually hyperbolic. It's usually way beyond reality on the ground. And we find that in the book of Joshua where it says they killed all the women and all the children, all the people. None that was alive was left uh, living and anything that had breath uh, died or they killed them all, in other words. Well, I've taught, I teach an entire course on the book of Joshua. I've uh, written a commentary on the book of Joshua. I'm writing a second one and I can tell you that this is far, far from being reality on the ground in the book of Joshua. Because one chapter, it says they killed them all. The next chapter, they're still there. And the next chapter, they're still there. So they, they didn't kill all the Canaanites. And first of all, the first Canaanite they came across was who? Rahab. Did they kill Rahab? No. Rahab joined them by faith. She believed in the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. So she left her, her past behind and joined uh, those who were worshiping the living God. So were the Israelites wrong in welcoming Rahab, the Canaanite? Were they supposed to kill Rahab? No. 
God wants everyone to know him. First of all, the purpose for raising up the Israelites was so that everyone on the face of the earth would come to know the living God, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, so that people would turn away from their gods and would turn to the living God, which is exactly what Rahab did. So what Rahab did was the plan of God for all the Canaanites in the land. And so we see many times in scripture when you have non-Israelites, people of uh, other nations who join the Israelites because of the God that they serve. So we see this. So the language of the whole community grumbled. I can tell you that there were probably a few who tried to influence other people. Uh, and uh, first of all, you didn't have two, three million people grumbling. Most people had never seen, never met Moses and Aaron. And uh, they knew they had a leader called Moses. But the way we read scripture, sometimes we think, okay, we know Moses because we read about Moses. We, we are following Moses. But, you know, when you have uh, the whole city, how many of you have met the mayor of Denver? You know, and that's one small example of, uh, you know, when you have a leader called by God, many times most of the community didn't have personal relationship but some of the leaders did. So many times in scripture, we see that there are heads of clans or officials or people who join together. Even Miriam uh, and Aaron grumbled against Moses. So you see people close to the leadership sometimes come in and create uh, tension or uh, grumble. And the word that is used for grumbled here is only used for the Israelites in the book of Exodus and Numbers as we follow them during their journey of life. So it's kind of a unique word specifically uh, related uh, to their lives. And here they're grumbling against Moses and Aaron. The previous complaint, they grumbled only against Moses. And here Moses and Aaron. So it's not easy to be the leader because you're the one who's targeted most of the time. And uh, you serve the Lord with all your heart, no doubt Moses. And Moses was not perfect. If you think of Moses, he actually would be in prison today for manslaughter because he killed someone. And so we don't think of Moses as a murderer. We think of Moses as this man called of God who saw the burning bush and heard the voice of God and met with God face to face and all of these things. But Moses made some mistakes in his life but the Lord still used him and this is one thing that I love about the stories of the Bible is that God uses uh, broken people to do amazing things if they choose to follow him so people grumbled against Moses and Aaron the Israelites said to them if only we had died in Egypt I find that statement very interesting if only we had died there are several places in scripture where people say, I wish I were dead. You know, if you have someone in your family or a friend, someone close to you and said, I want to die. I'd rather die than continue with life. We would pause. We would take this seriously and we would think somebody is suicidal in our midst. We need to, I need to pay attention. Sometimes we read scripture and we read things like this and it doesn't touch us in the same way that if we hear it from somebody close to us. But what are these people saying? We wish we were dead. We're going to die in the desert anyway. And I was looking uh, the other day, I was talking with uh, people at the seminary about suicidal people in scripture. 
where you have a matriarch, Rachel, who was the beautiful wife, the loved wife of Jacob. And because she was barren, she said, give me children or I'd rather die. And so we paused there and thought, what is she really saying? Life is not worth living. And we know that suicide is on the rise, especially among young people in our society. And so when we hear something like this, we need to pay attention. When we read something like this in scripture, we read Jeremiah said the same thing. I wish I had never come out of the womb. What I'm witnessing I'm witnessing the fall of Jerusalem. I'm witnessing the fall of, uh, of the southern kingdom. I'm witnessing the horrors of people in Jerusalem who are dying of famine. And in Deuteronomy, where it talks about the curse if people turn away from God, it talks, it talks about people will come to a point where in my city, in Jerusalem, mothers will eat their own children. This is the type of thing that Jeremiah was witnessing because people had turned their backs on God and therefore they had lost the northern kingdom already. Now they're losing the southern kingdom because they refused to turn back to God. So living, there, there's no question that living for God is the only thing that really gives the most value to life. Living for the Lord. Is it always easy? No. But is it worth it? And is it what we're called to do? Absolutely. We are called to move forward with the Lord, no matter what our past may be, no matter what the difficulties uh, may be. But when we get to the dark places of life, we need to remember that even in the past, God has brought us through difficult times. And the Israelites are saying, well, you know, we had everything we needed in Egypt. Yeah, right. That's not what we read at the beginning of the book of Exodus. We read that the, there was a new pharaoh, they were living under oppression, that they were given less materials to, to do their work, and uh, uh, they were slaves. And so they forgot that part. But they said, you know, we had all the food we wanted. Okay. So are you bringing us forward to make us starve and die in the wilderness? Sometimes we look at the future like a desert, but God knows what's ahead and God knows that there will be provision because he will provide for every need that we have along the way. He doesn't provide the way we always want to be provided for or in the, with the means that uh, we want to be provided for, but I can guarantee you that God is with us now, God was with us in the past and God will be with us in the future. God is not going to drop us in the wilderness and say, oh, whoops, sorry, you know, and bring us back to Egypt. God doesn't do that. And it's interesting, in trips, the next slide, we look at the call of Abram centuries earlier, where God told Abram to leave. Leave your land, go from your country, your people, your father's house to the land that I will show you. I find that such an interesting statement because go on a trip. Where? Ah, uh, I'll show you at some point. You know, do we ever go on a trip without knowing where we're going? No. We plan ahead. We 
check online, we make reservations, we know where we're going, we know how much time it's gonna take, we know all of these things. Well, Abram didn't have any of this information. Abram, uh, what comes after the call of Abram, God says go, and immediately after it says, Abram went. There is no, no argument with Abram, which is very interesting because if you compare that with the call of Moses, Moses takes three chapters to argue with God. Oh, I can't go, I can't talk, I'm, I'm this, you know. Uh, but you know, God, God won. God knew what he was doing. So God calls, God provides, God leads, and God knows exactly where he's leading people. And so the grumbling that was coming from the people against the leadership, and we can go to the next slide, the leadership called by God. God always has leaders appointed to have the oversight over us. God gives them responsibilities. And we know that to whom much is given, much is required. So to be a leader is not an easy task. It is, uh, it's a responsibility. You need to seek God. You need, especially when you lead a congregation, you need to follow where the Lord is leading not where you want to go as a leader. So there's always this uh, throughout scripture and to this day, God always provides leadership for his people. So, and it's never a good thing to grumble against the leadership that God has raised. Why? Because God says, trust me as I speak to the leaders. Now, it doesn't mean that we can't go directly to God. Of course, we need to go directly to God. Actually, we will probably have more trust in the leadership that God gives if we also go to God. Because we're going to be in tune and flowing together. So, but does that mean that uh, leaders, prophets, priests, officials, heads of clans, pastors, teachers don't make mistakes? Yes, they do. And we see this in society. I mean, we see this in major denomination right now that is going through uh, uh, serious struggles with some of the things that have happened in, in, with leaders of that denomination. But I look at that and it's heartbreaking to see how leaders fall from grace. But I know that God is a redeemer. And that God is merciful, that God is good, that God heals, God restores. And he does that with leaders who turn back to him. And with anyone who turns to him or turns back to him. So they're complaining against the leaders that God has raised up over them. So as they face challenges, next slide, and we face challenges, what, do, what choices do they have? They can complain, which they did several times. Actually, you have three major complaints between the time they, they sang this wonderful song of the sea and they received the Ten Commandments. You have three major complaints. And the complaint in Exodus chapter 16 is the second one. The first one was at the bitter waters. And so it's always life is hard. What, what choices do we have? Can I trust God? I remember when I, I served in the pastorate for 10 years in Canada before I went into academia. And I remember that one of our elders, a couple, they would always remind us, trust the Lord. Trust the Lord. Trust the Lord. We'd go through difficult things and, and challenges and they would say, just trust the Lord. 
And you know, the Lord is trustworthy. And he knows, the Lord leads us all the time. He will never drop us and stop leading us in the right direction. But we can complain after we're done complaining. Uh, then uh, sometimes it takes us a while to, to get to a point where we trust the Lord. And you know, complaining is boring if you do it alone. So usually if you're going to complain, you're going to kind of gather a, a team, <laughs> a team of complainers or other people. Or you're going to try to get people involved in, you know, uh, it gives you power. And so those who were the grumblers and the complainers probably started by speaking to, you know, someone who was hungry, spoke to, well, somebody else who was hungry, and then all of a sudden you have this company of grumblers and, uh, who come to the leadership. But God didn't stop speaking to Moses and through Moses and leading. Uh, God continued even if the complainers were part of uh, the community of faith at the time. So... When we find ourselves joining a complaint, we need to really backtrack and say, okay, first of all, uh, I don't have all the details, and so maybe I need to put my trust in the Lord. I need to pray and find out how the Lord sees the situation rather than how I and other complainers, because they were hungry, but they were limited in their vision of what God was doing and wanted to do. So next slide. Yeah, so they looked back, and, and they pointed to what they had in the past. But who provided the stuff that they had in the past? During the ten plagues, they continued living free of the plagues while all the Egyptians were being afflicted. And so they were spared, and it was God who did that in their midst. And it seemed that they forgot. They only thought about hunger and the food that they had. Next slide. So here is God's response. And you know, sometimes when people complain or, or, you know, there are difficult situations and we want to tell God how to deal with this, you know, how to judge the situation, judge the people. And one thing we find in the complaints that we have in Israel is that God is extremely merciful. It says here, then the Lord said to Moses, I will rain down bread from heaven for you. What? I mean, the people are grumbling, murmuring, complaining. They're, they're creating chaos. And God doesn't say, well, I guess I'm going to wipe them out like I did during the flood and start with a new group that's nicer. No, he said, I will meet their needs. He, I will rain down bread from heaven for you. The people are to go out each day and gather enough on that day, which reminds me of the Lord's prayer. Give us this day our daily bread. Today, God is going to provide for us. Tomorrow will be another today where God will provide for us and the next day and the next day. In this way, I will test them and see whether they will follow my instructions. On the sixth day, they are to prepare what they bring in, and that is to be twice as much as they gather on the other days. Moses also said, you will know that it was the Lord who takes care of you when he gives you meat to eat in the evening and all the bread you want in the morning because he has heard your grumbling against him, not against Moses and Aaron, against him. You are not grumbling against us, but against the Lord. So it's kind of a, a 
you know, it, it's not the way as humans we want to deal with hard, difficult people. We want to stop it. We want to, you don't deserve that I meet your need because of the way you're behaving. God does the opposite. God actually blesses them, reveals to them who he is, and, and wants to redeem them, wants to remind them that he is their provider, that he is merciful, that he's faithful, that he's the one who called them. And so Moses said, you know, you're not complaining against me. You're complaining against God, the very one who provided for you. Now, what, what did he do? God provided manna. What is manna? Manna, we know it says the bread from heaven uh, that came down or that God provided for his people. Now, if you speak to Bedouins today uh, who live in, the, in deserts or in small encampments, and they will talk about this, uh, this kind of resin that shows up in the morning on some of the bushes, and it comes with the... With the, the the, the morning dew, and then once the dew dries up, then the, the, this sweet wafer-type uh, substance that is on the ground, that they actually partake of that. They actually eat that. So manna from heaven, we have this idea that is like big poofs of white, fluffy something that uh, rains down from heaven. But it's probably much more likely to be something that God provided uh, for them in abundance while they were in the wilderness, something that is still known to this day. Now, great, God met their need, but what's the real miracle? The miracle, from what I read in the story, is that this happened six days a week, twice on the sixth day, and none on the seventh day for 40 years. That sounds like a miracle to me. For 40 years, six days, twice as much on the sixth day, none on the seventh day for 40 years. And if they, they gathered more than they needed for the day, it spoiled, it went bad. They were told not to do that. And so... I think, okay, God can use something that is from nature, something that is natural that we're familiar with, uh, to provide for our needs. But God will show us that he does something that humans cannot do, that nature cannot do by itself. God does beyond. So it's like the parting of the waters. Didn't only part the waters, but dried the ground. Wasn't mud they didn't walk through mud. Same thing with the parting of the waters of the Jordan when the Israelites went into Canaan. They walked on dry ground, the exact same words that you find uh, with the Exodus. So walls of water, God stops the water, and it says in a heap, you know, so it was visible in a heap, and, but the ground was dry, and that couldn't happen by itself. To have all these people walk across. So how does God respond when we go through challenges? He, he hears a complaint, you know, which is, it's fine to complain to God. Complain to God before you complain to people. You know, and sometimes we have a tendency to want to join people in our complaint rather than complaining to God. And you know what? God can handle our complaints. God, I am mad. This is so unfair. And let it out. Vent. To God, God can handle any, 
any of our, uh, you know, venting or problems are. And he does not come. He does not condemn Israel. He actually blesses Israel. He provides what Israel needs to continue in the journey of life, even though the journey is difficult. So provides a miracle, the manna for everything that they needed. Next, uh, next slide. One question that we we ask sometimes is: Does God test us? We just read in Exodus chapter 16 that God it does test us in life to see if we will remain faithful. God does not tempt us with sin, as we find in James, but he can test us to see if we will remain faithful while we go through the, the difficult times of life. In Deuteronomy 8, we read, and this is 40 years after they came out of Egypt, because Deuteronomy is the last farewell speech of Moses before the Israelites went in the land. Uh, Moses tells the people, remember all the way that the Lord your God has led you these 40 years in the wilderness in order to humble you, to test you, to know what was in your heart, whether you would keep his law or not. He afflicted you and let your hunger, let you hunger, then he fed you manna which neither you nor your fathers had known, in order to make you understand that man does not live by bread alone, but by every word that comes from the mouth of God. So in other words, yes, God tests in order to see if we will remain faithful to him. And we have a confirmation of that also in Psalm 78, in the next, uh, next slide. Uh, which Psalm 78, the historical Psalms, goes over some of the details of Israelite history. And verse 18, they put God to the test in their heart by demanding food for their craving. Then they spoke against God, for they did not believe in God or trust in his salvation. Yet he commanded the skies above and opened the doors of heaven and rained down manna upon them to eat and gave them the, gra uh, the grain of heaven. So we fail to trust God, but God is still merciful and he still provides for all of our needs. He goes before us. And I found this little picture that shows kind of uh, the trajectory of our lives, you know, with Moses lost in the desert with the Israelites. And if you remember the early GPS that we used to have would say, oh, recalculating, recalculating. I don't think the most modern ones say that anymore. But how many times in, Israel, in their journey, their 40-year journey in the wilderness, uh, they had to recalculate to follow the leader that God had raised up before them. They couldn't go back to Egypt by themselves. They refocused, okay, I need to trust God, you know. And then the challenges are joys of life. I mean, they rejoiced when babies were born. They mourned when they, the people would pass away. They, they went through stuff that we go through. And so we can relate to them. So that's the journey of life. You know, no journey of life is a straight shot uh, to heaven. We all experience life. But the test is, can we remain faithful, especially when we go through difficult times. So we are on a journey, and we have a trajectory before us. We can't live in the past. The past is part of us. We can never separate ourselves from our past completely. Our past is like our shadow. You know, if your shadow doesn't matter if you walk or run or uh, wherever you go, your shadow will always be attached to you. 
But that's not a bad thing. And I think of Rahab. Rahab was called Rahab the prostitute. After she joins the Israelites, she's still called Rahab the prostitute. She appears in the genealogy of Jesus as Rahab the prostitute. She's mentioned in the, in the, the Hebrews chapter 11, this chapter that talks about people of great faith, Rahab the prostitute. She didn't live as a prostitute anymore, but she learned. We learn from our past. I, I'm glad for my past. There are things I'm not proud of in my past, but God it uses some of the things of my past to help me walk, to help me with the future, and to help me uh, help other people. So we cannot live in the past. We don't want to relive the past. We move forward. With God, we always move forward. God hears prayers. God is faithful to hear our prayers at all times and our complaints. He knows our struggles. He knows our future. He knows us more than we know ourselves. And he is merciful. We make mistakes. We fall. We get up. We, we stumble through life. And we rejoice. We have great parties like Exodus chapter 15. And we have other moments where it's time to complain. But you know what? We need to remain faithful. That's the test of life. Will we remain faithful to the Lord until the end? We need to be thankful for the challenges because God uses them for our good, not just our good, but the good of other people. There are people that I can help because of what I've gone through in my life. And there are people I can't help because of what I've gone through, uh, because I have an experience I can't identify with them. But God will use all of our past to, if we put it in his hands, and to help other people that he places on our path. The next slide. So as we close here, let's trust the Lord in all circumstances of life. Through the ups and the downs, remembering that God is merciful and faithful to us and will provide everything we need for the journey. The Israelites are still alive today. The Jews are still alive today. There's no other nation, no other people group that is still alive today. God has called them, chosen them, still working through them, brought the Messiah through them, and still uh, using the Jewish people today. So let's pray that God uh, shows us the future. We can't forget the past, but we don't live in the past. We move forward, and God has exciting things ahead of us. And one of my motto for life is, the best is yet to come. So let's pray. My Father, thank you so much for the stories that you left with us to give us hope and to show us that you never leave us, never forsake us, that you never leave us to starve, but you provide for us in miraculous ways. So, Lord, I pray for this church, for each individual here, and for this community. I pray that you would show them the marvelous things that you have for them individually and corporately. Lord, open their eyes to what you are doing and draw their hearts to you so that they would trust you with every situation in their life. And, Lord, we pray these things and give you all the praise and the glory, our great and wonderful God. And we pray this in Jesus' name.